Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey everyone, Leonard Kim here. Today we're going to be talking entrepreneurship and journalism with John Boynton. But before John Boynton gets on the line, let me just tell you a little bit about my week. Went over to New York over the weekend, had an amazing time, got my Invisalign finally taken off, which is pretty neat. 11 months went from the most jagged crooked teeth that you could ever see to like, oh, they're basically straight now, which is pretty awesome. And, you know, to have that kind of transformation when people are like, wow, that difference in your teeth, it's really remarkable. I mean, it's pretty cool to hear. It gives you that a little confidence boost where you're like, yeah, things are really working out for me. And, oh, man, this year's just been absolutely amazing. I mean, I've been able to travel to New York twice already within the year, once for a TV show, once to uh, go get my Invisalign taken out. met a great girl now, dating, pretty awesome, in a relationship. Who knew, right? Talking about my ex about three months ago and how horrible that was, being in a new relationship. Uh, what else has been going on? Went over to Canada to speak, just crushed it out there. Uh, you know, things have been going pretty good. I mean, there's really not much to complain about. What else is there really going on? I mean, you know, this whole show is really about entrepreneurship, going out there, being an influencer, getting top things. One of the key things we're going to be talking about today is really a mix of between entrepreneurship and journalism. Like, you know, if you're really going out there and you want to make a difference in the world and you want people to come to you and buy your services, the days of cold calling are basically dead. Like, you can't go, hey, hey, I'm going to call you right now and sell you my services. Or, hey, referral marketing isn't even as strong as it used to be because guess what? After you make that referral, the person's going to go and look you up and then you're going to be like, oh, is this really the type of person I want to work with? What people are looking for nowadays really lies within this thing called social proof. And... Back in the days, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you had social proof by the referral game. You could just make a referral and be like, hey, there's this person, there's that person, you got to go to them. But now, what people are doing is they're starting to Google the experts that they're looking for. And guess what? They're going to type your name into Google and search you up as well. One of the key things that people are going to look for is... They're going to do like a little analysis. Let me give you an example with like a resume. Let's say you're applying for a job and there's two different candidates. Candidate A and candidate B are equally qualified, right? They submit their applications. Guess what? The first thing the recruiter is going to do is they're going to go, okay, these are the two top candidates I'm going to look at. But before I pick which one I want to really work with, I'm going to go Google them. So they type in, let's say, John Boytnot on Google. Let's say John Boytnot... Um, He's got himself, you Google him, he covers the entire first page. You see that he's writing for a major publication. You see him featured in another one. Uh, I, I mean, John has been featured in publications left and right, and he has been going out there and writing for a lot of publications. So that gives him instant credibility. You go see his social media following. You see that he has thousands of people following him. You go to his LinkedIn page. You see that he has a few recommendations on there. You see he has his own personal website. See that maybe he has a few thousand um, Twitter followers, and you're like, wow, 
this guy's got something called social proof. People are validating him because they're following him online. Publications are writing about him. Publications trust him enough to write. He has his own dedicated web, web space online. Plus, people are recommending him on LinkedIn. This person's a pretty solid bet, right? Now, let's say you have um, person B on the other side. Let's say it's Leonard Kim. And let's say, Leonard, you Google me and you see that I have like five followers on Twitter, maybe two, 28 LinkedIn connections, no recommendations, only a Facebook page comes up. You're like, wow, this guy really doesn't have any social proof. This guy's really got to crush it at the interview to really get the job. But guess what? Your positioning, your mindset, everything is already like set on John. And chances are John's going to really get that position over you. And you're really going out there going, oh, is this even going to happen or not for the other person? And that's kind of how the world's shifting. Like my friend works at a modeling agency. And when he hires models or when he goes to sell models to companies, they're not looking at who can pose the best, who's the best looking in the pictures anymore. Like which one has the most social following? So this is kind of how the world's shifting. John, are you there to take it away? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Perfect. I'm great. Yeah, how I mean, are I, you? I'm I'm pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm uh, walking the streets of San Francisco where I live and trying to get to a spot where there aren't that many cars uh, and trucks making loud noises that prevent me from being able to to hear. Um, <laughs> I don't have access to an office at this particular moment. I was out getting lunch with a with a client and. Uh, wanted to make sure I gave my full attention to the conversation here and not drive or anything while, while yeah, talking. Yeah, no worries. I, I mean, that happens. Sometimes things just come up and we get caught off guard. I mean, I've had to do this radio show at like various places. I'm like, oh, it's coming up. What do I do? I need to go find a quiet place right now. So I, I completely get it. But John, why don't you just take a moment to introduce yourself so people can really get to know who you are. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is John Boydnott. I'm a journalist who's worked in the state of California in the U.S. for the last 23 years and uh, used to work at TV stations, radio stations. You might hear a lot of rattling noise in the background. That's a cable car. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we used to, and there's also some wind today. But yeah, so worked in San Francisco for a long time in the Bay Area and in Southern California for all the way since 1994. Um, started getting into the internet and writing content on the internet back in like 2005, 2006. Um, started driving it to go viral using social media tactics back then. And in the last several years, I've worked at a, an array of different marketing companies, different agencies, startups, as well as different publications. And currently I'm writing for Inc., Entrepreneur, Business Insider, and a few others. Like a, I'll actually write for Fiverr. I'll write for Log Me In, as well as American Express and a few others. I write uh, lesser, but still some of the time. So that's the main stuff I'm doing right now. And also uh, certainly have experience in attempting to be more of an influencer in certain areas. That's awesome. I, that. I mean, with over 20 years of experience kind of in this field, like you've probably seen a lot of shifts and changes with like how people perceive the media, like how people perceive the people featured in the media, how people perceive different things in the world overall. Um, what do you think some of those biggest shifts are? Well, I mean, with uh, specifically with media and websites and publications, online media, um, there have been so many changes over the years that it's really hard to keep track. I think um, the first time that I was part of like a layoff of like 
several people all at once was back in the 90s, like in 98. And then later on, a bunch of people were let go from the CBS station that I worked at in San Francisco all at once, and I was one of those, and that was a purely budgetary thing. Um, once upon a time, at a station after that that I worked at, I was let go because uh, there was some nakedness on the, on the TV show that we were doing. Um, it was, uh, the, if you've ever heard of the Beta Breakers, which is this, this fun race in San Francisco where people end up, uh, you know, not wearing costumes or not wearing as much clothing as they should, that kind of thing. Well, uh, we zoomed in uh, on the crowd and there were some naked people in there. And so I was the writer of the show, so I got canned as well as uh. a director and a, and a few other people. So I've been fired all different ways or let go all different ways. I think that that's something that has, uh, the general trend is that publications and journalists, journalism has a tougher time making money than it once did. If you go back to like the 1950s and the 1960s, journalism was kind of looked at as a thing that you would just pay for. If you were a big company like General Electric and you owned the NBC, you understood that NBC was going to be part of your sort of portfolio of companies that you owned that didn't make as much money as the other 95% of the companies that you owned. Let's say if you're General Electric, you made all your money selling, uh, uh, you know, aircraft engines and refrigerators and things like that to millions and millions of people all over the planet. And you also had this media company, partly because you probably wanted to try and influence the public to some extent. And so NBC and other uh, broadcasters were kind of subsidized for many, many years. And it wasn't really all that important for them to make money. Well, over the last several decades, it's become more and more important for those companies to make money. And when they don't make money, that means you have to let go of people. So that's obviously yeah. changed the way everything works. It has not been easy for many people. So, um, <laughs> so that's led to a whole number of different things that we can talk about from uh, investigative journalism not being as strong to the overall quality of the sites and the material not being as good as it used to be and um, what have you. But uh, So those are just some of the changes that I've seen. Yeah, I mean, this landscape's really changed a lot. Like, back 20 years ago, you would get a full in investigative piece from every single angle, and now when um, uh, most people write articles, it's just like, you know, just touching the surface, not really hitting a lot of sur uh, sources, and people are picking, piggybacking news outlets off, one off another. And that's kind of an interesting change that's been going on because I guess that's kind of like helped constitute the wave of a lot of the fake news that's been going on. Yeah, there, there certainly is a lot of fake news out there. I think one of the things that you see a lot of different publications is they will set up programs whereby they can get different CEOs on with their own column, that kind of thing, and charge them a certain amount of money to get different opinions. They just sort of come up with different ways to get people to pay to actually be part of the content stream on the different publications. Hmm. Um, as far as fake news goes, I think there's definitely been a phenomenon that's, that's increased in the last five, ten years where there are those people out there who are just, in, in order to create viral web sensation type material, they just come up with stuff that hits all the proper keywords and um, target specific groups in the population to get them to click and check it out because some people really want to have news that agrees with what they believe already. 
And so they're willing to click on to things that sort of confirm whatever it is they believe. And you, that was part of the whole, what was behind this Facebook thing that's happening right now is there's this company, Cambridge Analytica, and they take a look at the profiles of millions of people and their friends and put them into categories so that they could target certain information to the people in the different categories and not target other people with that. So that they could get basically more conversions, right? So that they could get yeah. what's the equivalent of conversions. See, that's kind of what they're doing, a lot of them. I mean, to me, what that kind of sounds like is if you watch the news in Texas, you're going to get a completely different message than if you're watching the news in California or New York. Uh, I mean, one's going to, Texas is probably going to shift more to the right when they communicate the news, but um, in California and New York, it's probably going to move towards the left. And I mean, I, I guess, I guess, like media has always been kind of doing this where they play their particular part onto each different demographic based off like what that different state uh, usually tends to go with. But now that this uh, Concordia company went out there and did the analytics for all and got the data behind it, like the real data as opposed to the theoretical data that the news companies have always used, that really is what pushed the trigger where people are like, oh, I'm going to delete my Facebook account right now. What do you think about that? Well, so as far as um, people in, in, so as far as people in Texas getting Texas news, I think one of the things that is true is that for as long as there has been local news in the United States, so you go back to like the 40s and 50s when all the local television stations were first started, again, it was viewed as a public service and it was subsidized. So what you're basically getting is not so much politically slanted news, that's not the way local news has ever really been run. It's always been pretty much just there's this candidate, there's that candidate, they're running. And then if you're a reporter, you report on it. You let them each side say the two main candidates, say what they're going to say. And, uh, and that's sort of the news story there. Whether or not, you know, that doing that type of a story is biased in and of itself. Well, that's, that's a different story altogether. But so there, so if you go to like a place like Texas, and you have a city, let's say Houston, and there's like seven or eight local TV stations in the, in the city, then most of them are, it's not very political, really. It's mostly just reporting about the sports, the weather, the traffic, the top stories of the day, national, local, et cetera, et cetera, there's no, et cetera, et cetera. There's no real chance to inject a political opinion on it. If you have an, an anchor or a reporter on the air, having been both of those, I know this is true, don't get the actual chance to like express your political opinion on these local Mm. TV stations. There is one company called Sinclair Broadcasting though, and they specifically have their anchors read and, and, and play stories. The news teams at those stations play stories that are politically charged and on the right wing. Uh, That, that, that's uh, called Sinclair Broadcasting. They own like 50 more than that uh, local TV stations. So they are actually attempting to bring, uh, sort of national left-right politics into local stations, and they're buying up local stations. I don't believe there's a company on the left that's doing that. Um, So so that's that. Um, As far as... uh, what other questions were there around that? That sort of went down the rabbit hole with that one. Before to it. But, um, uh, I'm not sure. Maybe we should just take a commercial break and we could regroup and see what we could do from there. Um, you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter. Where can people find you, John? Yeah, sounds good to me. Cool. Sounds good. 
Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel hear the stories be motivated be inspired join us today voice america influencers this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here, back with John Boyd. Earlier, we kind of got into the different shifts and changes of how uh, the media has, the world of the media has changed. Uh, Right now, what we're really going to be getting into is how, like, entrepreneurship and journalism kind of fits in together. Now, if you're going out there and you're an entrepreneur and you really want to go out there and build your business, one of the key things that most entrepreneurs look at is this interesting thing called PR, public relations, how they could get their company out there in the media. And a lot of companies end up trying this on their own. Some of them hire PR agencies. Some of them hire um, writers to go out there and create their own content. Like, there's all these different approaches that you can do. Uh, I, I mean, John, as a as a columnist and a journalist, you probably get pitched like all the time, right? Yeah, pretty constantly, every day, dozens of emails. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure, like, most of these emails are like, oh, my company's, like, the greatest thing in the world, or my company's doing this, or my company's doing that. Usually when you see something and it's, like, company-centric, is that something that really piques your interest, or does it, like, turn you off, or what, what do you do Yeah, really good question there. Company? Most of the time, no, uh, because a lot of times these companies live in their own little bubble, right? And then yeah. they feel like whatever they've got going in their little world is like so important to them. So it must be so important to everybody else, but you know how it is. It's, it's most, most often it's not the case that whatever milestone you've set for your company and that you've just reached. And that's great by the way, but most often it's not the case that that's really all that interesting to most other people or not. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of other mistakes that occur along the way. That uh, that folks make, but that's definitely one of the one of the big ones right there is that they just uh, they think that whatever their story is isn't 
is interesting, and it's not actually all that uh, newsworthy, I guess you could say. So they're like, John, I got this amazing new company. What we're doing is we're making sliced bread. And you're like, wait, I already have Wonder Bread at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that particular like, case, they've got to, you got to let the numbers tell the story. I mean, maybe there's a chance that the company really is tremendously interesting. And maybe there's a chance that the story is really great, but show me how and why, you know, uh, and don't take much time in doing it, right? Because you know how it is with emails. Emails are kind of a rough, difficult thing that all of us have to do every day, and they're, they sort of mess with our productivity. And so with emails, you've got to move through them pretty quickly, right? Or you want to try to as much as you can, spend as little time on each one as you possibly can. Otherwise, you're not going to get to the projects and things that you want to, that you're on deadline for. So they got to get to it quickly. If, if they don't get to it quickly, then there's no real chance they're going to look at it, even if you have a great story. So get to your main points pretty quickly and sell it, you know? Yeah, let, let, let me know why this is a story that I should care about. Was it because you increased the amount of products that you sold in the last 30 days by 100,000? Or you have uh, these, you know, several new clients that have increased your monthly recurring revenue by you know, uh, 25% over just this month or a hundred percent over the, you know, you know, numbers that I used to sell infographics for a living and I did it. I did it for like two, three years. This was, you know, this was like back in 2013 when infographics were first sort of starting to arrive and be the thing that everyone wanted to have in their blog. And the thing about infographics that so many people were interested in and why we got a lot of good business and made a lot of infographics for a lot of people was because when an infographic is really effective, it takes a bunch of numbers and it, it takes a bunch of just gobbledygook and it turns it into a really interesting story and it visually shows it to you in an interesting way and all that stuff. So that's why infographics used to always go viral a whole lot and still sometimes do. So you got to try and think of your press release that you send to a reporter as kind of like your mini infographic slash verbal infographic. Like, tell me the amazing numbers about yourself and tell the story with those things. Now, that sort of separates the men from the boys right there because yeah. if you don't have good numbers, well, then that, that shows you, A, what you need to work on, and, and B, whether or not you, you can actually tell yourself whether or not you're worthy of being covered. And you can strive towards getting those things that make you more worthy of being covered. But that's um, something that a lot of people, A, don't realize they need, and B, don't know how to get there even if they did know that they needed it. So, huh. so yeah. most of these people who are going out there and pitching, they're like, oh, I got the greatest company. But they're not really backing it with the data to prove that they're really making a difference or they're really doing things that are impacting things. So without that data, you're just looking at one pitch to the next to the next. And they all kind of end up looking the same, right, without those numbers that back them. Yeah. yeah. So, and another good, and yeah, I was going to say another good example could be a, um, like a nonprofit organization. You aren't really doing it to make a bunch of money or to grow tremendously in size, but maybe you can give me information on the really cool other companies you've, prof you've uh, partnered with. Maybe you can give me information on how many people you've fed in the last week, or maybe 
maybe you have grown and a lot of people have donated to you, so you can talk about that. Um, at Inc, Inc.com, I do a pretty regular column about entrepreneurs that are helping out underserved communities all over the world, and I've done a lot of different stories about nonprofit organizations, but one of the things that really separated them was, like, separated the ones that editors wanted me to cover versus ones that I would just propose to them, and they were like, nah, this isn't that interesting. One of the things that would separate that out from the editor's point of view was how many, you know, how much money are they making, how many countries are they operating in, how many, what's the growth been like of the people that they're affecting, if they, if they have a product, do they have a partnership with a group of hospitals or they have a bunch of science that's really interesting or those types of things. So it's, again, it comes down to like reputable sources that kind of point out uh, and statistics that point out like how great you're doing and how great you are and that you do have a really good story. So I was talking with one of my clients the other day, Joseph Bradley. He's a vice president of IoT over at Cisco. And he was like, you know, a, a lot of the problems is that people, what they do is they mistake inputs for outputs. And what he means by that is when people go down and they're having, like, meetings with people, they're thinking, like, how do I win the championship, right, when it comes to, like, a game of basketball. But they're not really focusing yeah. on, like, how do I become the rebound king? How do I make sure that we dominate the rebound game? Because if we dominate the rebound game, we'll ultimately win more games, you know what I mm. mean? So maybe one thing that if you're a company and you're out there, you're like, oh, yeah, we have this ultimate mission to go out there and change the world. I mean, that's a little far-fetched, especially if you don't really have the numbers to really go out there and back it. Maybe you take a step back because you're looking at the output, what you really want to do, and then you switch it to an input that you could do at your company. And then let's say mm. you master, like, let's say you were serving... Uh, let's say you're a meal serving company in the homeless communities and you've been serving like 100 meals a day. You're like, how can I use the same budget to go and serve 200 meals a day? Or how can I figure out ways to optimize this and make more meals with the same budget at the same quality? Then maybe that way you can make a creative story out of that input as opposed to the output. Because once you hit that input, that's what's leading to the output. And that 100 meals turning into like 200 or something, that that's huge, and that could attract more eyeballs where you're able to afford maybe 500 more meals, 1,000 more meals, 2,000 more meals, and things like that because you figured out how to take what you were already doing, optimize it, make it better, and get, and then you have a story that you can go out there and sell for other people to believe in and hop on to. I think that that's uh, really well put. I think that's a great way to think about it. I kind of think about it like it, you just went to your first NBA basketball game, right? Uh, oh yeah, that was great. Like, yeah, that was that was over in uh, that was over in Brooklyn. Did you go to Brooklyn or was it in Madison Square Garden? It was in New York, right? Yeah, it was in Madison Square Garden. It was the Knicks and the Hornet, uh, Hornets game. And it was like a blowout. Right. I think the Knicks won by like 25 points. I just sat there. Like, it was so sad. When the Hornets were playing, like, no one would cheer for them. The whole the whole auditorium would be silent. <laughs> when the Knicks had the ball, everyone would be like, yeah, go, go, go. I'm like, wow. Imagine how sad life would be if no one cheered you on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, well, one of the main things that you, so basically... What you just described was um, a situation where, yeah, you have this big overarching goal that you're looking at on the horizon. It's changing the world or it's, you know, it's, you know, 
changing the way that the cloud infrastructure is used by people or some, some, whatever your mission is, right? Um, yeah. What, what makes that up, what makes that possible is all the little things that you do in your business over the course of the day and the week and the month and then the year that, that are what you, what you call the inputs, right? So like yeah. bringing it back to basketball, if, if you want to be able to – basketball is basically made up of like dozens and dozens of little smaller interactions on the court by the players that allow them to – do certain things at certain times that are good or, or you know, bad for the other team or whatever it may be. So some teams, like, like, like take the Knicks, for example, they may be really, really good at three-pointers, and they've got mm-hmm. those down, but they're not doing something else like inbound, basket, inbound passes that lead to layups. This is something, some other thing like that. They're not nearly as good. So they have some inputs that work, and they have some inputs that are just not doing it at all. And so they end up with a kind of a mediocre team but a team that sometimes gets these big wins. So, yeah, I think it's just, uh, that's an interesting metaphor and analogy or whatever. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> you see in basketball, input, a lot of good input will lead <laughs> to a good output. Yeah, and sometimes you have to challenge the belief as well because Joseph was telling me, like, when the game of basketball first started, like, people always believed that what you had to do was you had to get in as close as possible and whoever was closest to the basket whenever they shot, those would be the people who won the game. Then, like, what happened, like, about 20 years later is the Warriors, they kind of changed everything because they're like, you know what, let's challenge this belief of having to go in to make baskets. Let's see if we can make baskets from as far away as possible. So they started taking uh, three-pointers, taking it further away from the three-point line, shooting far out. Then all of a sudden, they started winning games because they took that input, they challenged that belief for that input, they changed directions, and then they created a new trend. So maybe if normal input isn't even working, you could go and go against the grain, challenge everything. And if you challenge everything, guess what? You have an even more intriguing story that people are really willing to go out there and tell. There you go. And you have to find a way in your press release or whatever you send a reporter to say that quickly. You may love the sound of your own voice and you may want to really sort of like read out all the different points about how you've made a huge change that's helping this, you know, that, that space or whatever. But if you can't do it quickly and if you can't get to the point right away, then you're going to miss most of the journalists. There'll be some that, that catch it, but you know, you're going to miss, you're going to miss quite a few. So you've got to really be optimized for, for, uh, for, uh, you know, uh, journalism for 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 peaking the interest of a journalist you have to be optimized for that so kind of what you're really doing with all this to really pique the interest of the uh, journalist is you're kind of like swaying away from exactly what the company is doing per se and you're focusing more on like the leadership within the company the management team right yeah definitely um i think i think also one of the things that that a lot of leaders at different companies have to realize and have to pass on down to their PR team is that uh, the journalist has the pressure on them to really perform for the, for the publication that they're at. And the publication, as we were talking about earlier, may be experiencing financial pressures and difficulties. So being able to, you, know, you, have, you, you want, A, you want to be able to actually uh, pitch the right journalist. I would say yeah. like a good quarter to half of all the, the 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 ideas that I toss into the trash can are are ideas that are directed not at me but at a colleague who does that 
that space, whereas I don't. So, for instance, I'm not doing a story on, on AI and how, I'm not an expert on, I know a little bit about it, but I'm not an expert on AI and how AI, uh, how people should change their work habits and, and, and stuff like that in order to accommodate the automation that's going to be coming in the coming years. So if you pitch me a story like that, then I can't even really look at your press release and it's certainly not really feasible for me to try and find like a right person to refer you to because I've, I'm still trying to meet my deadline and I'm on my own schedule and stuff. And I also have to read all the other, uh, 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 you know, all the other emails that come in too. So I feel like those are some things that like leaders at companies should realize um, and pass on down to their PR teams is that, that uh, oftentimes there's financial pressure at these publications. The people that work at these publications are trying to perform as well as they can for those publications and they have to be really quick and efficient as much as they can. And so you got to make sure you target them the right way. A lot of people just don't target them the right way. So what you really have to do is you have to kind of like think like how someone who's writing for the publication would think. Like what would get the most views? What would get the most readers? Yeah. What would get like some people to really pay attention to whatever you have to say, right? That's a, that's a huge uh, tool that PR professionals can use or people who are just entrepreneurs at their own companies can use. I think that, that one of the key things that you have to do in order to make yourself good at that is to keep up with the journalists that cover which things. And so that's, I think any entrepreneur who um, has a company should have, should have a, a list of different journalists who are in their area and also read them regularly. It's fine to have you know, a list of those journalists and what they're doing, but like, like any marketing list, that it doesn't stay very up-to-date for very long. So you've got to be a good participant in whatever space you're doing. It's fine that, well, let's say you make drones that are AI intelligent or something, and you're really good at it. But if you aren't keeping up, and, and you're you're very much in the space and know what's going on in the space, but if you're not reading the the uh, the, the journalists who are writing about it regularly, and if you don't actually go out and try and meet them, live near them, go to the same networking events they do, get involved with them in some way, then you're gonna have a tougher time. So that that brings to the brings me to the next idea, which is network and get to know the actual people who do the writing in, in your space, whatever it may be, to the extent that you can. I mean, if you live in Houston and the person who, and a lot of the journalists are in New York or Nashville or San Francisco or LA, then it's kind of tough, right? But yeah. I mean, these are the decisions that some entre- entrepreneurs make. Do you want to go live and be more near the action that way and thus probably or possibly get more uh, notoriety? Um, and possibly more success, then that's, that's the gamble that you have to make. And that's why so many people move to the Bay Area, even though it is so expensive. That's why it's gotten so expensive, because it's such a great place. And the market forces brought it that way, made it that way. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you, like, move somewhere like the Bay, you have accessibility to basically everything that you could ever need. And that's what you're really paying for, that accessibility, right? Yeah, Totally. Yeah, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's paid for. You pay to play a little bit with that. Yeah, as frustrating as that is for people who aren't willing to do that or able to do that. Yeah, networking is definitely important, especially if you're building up a certain company in a certain field. You want to really build upon those relationships, maintain them, keep them, strengthen them as much as possible, keep in touch, because that's really what's going to really drive the long-term success of your business. Because once you start um, building that relationship with them, if they're like, oh, you know what, I'm doing this new piece on XYZ, 
who's the first person that they're going to think of to go out for an expert quote? Who's the first person yeah. they're going to think of to go out there and go, hey, look, can you cover this? Hey, or can you uh, provide me insights for this? Hey, look, um, can we do something with your particular company? If you're building those relationships, they're going to be thinking of you instead of you going out there mm-hmm. and pitching them every single time. And if they're coming to you, yeah. I mean, like for me in the last two years, like I, I think I got like hundreds of like media features and all these people just came to me. And when they could come to mm-hmm. you, it just makes it like so much easier because you're getting all these wins. Those wins turn into people reading your articles or the articles about you. Uh, the people who read those articles about you go back to your website. Those people who go to your website go and learn more about what you do. When they learn more about what you do, chances are they could potentially become your customers too. So it kind of like trickles all the way down where you're able to create like true influence with exactly what you're doing. And it mm-hmm. leads to like converting and paying customers, which is what basically anyone in business is kind of looking for, right? Yeah, totally. Hey, you know, it's really interesting. Like one of the... One of the things, one of the questions that I get from a lot of people is, well, how did you come to write for all these publications, right? I mean, I only write publications, and one of them I only write one story a month, but Inc., I write a couple <laughs> stories a week, and Entrepreneur, I write one story a week. But people are like, how did you come to write for these publications? You know, that usually it's a freelance writer or somebody who doesn't have a job writing yet or who has less experience or is just out of college. And, I mean, I always say it's who you know to some extent, but there's more to it than that. It's not just who you know. It's like who you've actually interacted with and been able to sort of find, like, common ground with professionally, you know, like um, professionally and personally. You know, the the jobs that I got writing um, as a columnist for different publications, um, I was able to, through through having a journalism background, that was uh, a key thing as well, people uh, getting to know me and liking me and actually thinking that I could be a fit for some smaller project that the publication was working uh, or doing. And then over time, building my reputation and eventually getting to the point where they felt like they could uh, hire me for a part-time job or something that was more than that. So it's, uh, and, and part of that was getting to know the people involved, visiting them at, at their offices, um, going to different conferences that they put on that they want to actually see. They, they, that's one of the primary ways that some of these publications make money, whether it's entrepreneur or whatever, they make money. Um, one of the ways is not just advertising on the site, but through conferences and events, speaking events like that. So if you want to actually get to know some of the people who work at those sites, go to those events and take a flight to Nashville and, you know, write it off at the end of the year if you can for your taxes. Um, you know, spend $400, $500 to get to Nashville or, and then more than that to stay there and then meet the people that you need to meet. And then gradually, as time goes by, you'll build a name for yourself. But really, you have to kind of scratch and claw and, and to some extent, it's who you know and then what you do with the people that you know. So, um, that kind of, kind of goes along with what you were saying earlier. Yeah, I, I mean, like, that kind of really makes sense. Kind of like how I got my entrepreneur column a few years ago. Uh, I went to an entrepreneur tossed event, and um, Ryan Shea, the president, was there, and he was talking to someone, and he stopped talking to them. So I just sat down next to him. And I was like, hey, how's it going? We chatted for a little bit, and I'm like, hey, I'd love to write for you. And he's like, yeah, sure, just email me. He handed me his card, and I emailed him, and next thing you know, I had a column. Um, we're going to hop off to a commercial break. We'll be back soon. You can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter. Where can everyone find you, John? Sounds good to me. Cool. Sounds good.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here, back with John Boyd. Now, if you listen to the show, you've really got to tune in to really figure out how to go out there and craft a pitch. Get uh, get the journalists on your side. Get your entrepreneurial story covered and whatnot. One thing that you can really do to really stick out in this is use a tool called BuzzSumo. What BuzzSumo does is tells you what's the most shared articles out there. You can type it by website, by industry, by term, whatever it may be. And it does all the research of all the websites out there and shows you what were the most shared topics. So let's say you own a company that does like gardening. And with that gardening company, you're like, what's the most interesting pitch that I could really give out to a journalist? You could type gardening into BuzzSumo, and it'll tell you like what the most popular articles are. So you could kind of craft your pitch around what's already been trending, what's already been interested for other people to read, to really get that interest of the uh, journalist, because they're going to want to have an article that's really read a lot, that's shared, and everything like that. Do you have any other tips, uh, John? I think you're really getting to the heart of something very good there, uh, uh, Leonard, because, you know, essentially what you're talking about is you're talking about, like, diving underneath the surface and giving people more information than, uh, than they were actually expecting or that they knew about before. And what I mean by that is, like, so part of the reason why we go to BuzzSumo a lot, content creators uh, like us and, and, and people who write for a living, who want to try and find ideas, who want to try and find, like, stories that we should be covering for the future. And all, you know, that, that includes, because remember, journalists are they're trying to worry, they're, they're worrying about page views just as much as they're worrying about informing people. Um, so essentially what a lot of journalists have discovered is what one of the main things, and this is something everyone should, should realize, is that we're not looking to write about the same old story. Yes, we know that, uh, that uh, automation is a coming trend and it's going to affect people's job out there, jobs out there. And I, we, I understand that as a journalist, seen literally dozens, if not hundreds of articles about it. 
but what hasn't been reported before? What are stories about that that have not been reported before? What are certain aspects of that that, that can be reported on that have that there isn't a lot out there that has been done yet? So I think when you are pitching a journalist or when you're trying to come up with content for your blog or whatever the case may be, you want to try and optimize it for stuff that just has not been covered as much before and stuff that isn't obvious. And when I say obvious, that's not, that's not necessarily fair. Just stuff that the average, reasonably educated entrepreneur wouldn't be able to necessarily figure out on their own. What you want to try and get across are things that you bring to the table that no one else does that separate you and make you more interesting to readers out there and possibly get them interested in purchasing whatever it is you're trying to get them to purchase. So, um, or just visit your site or just check it out, whatever the case may be. But that's, that's one of the key things and why people go to BuzzSumo is because they're looking for that information that hasn't been covered before or is covered in a way that it's never, not covered usually. You often see that the ones that really rise to the top hit upon the right keywords you know, hit upon the right pieces of subject matter. Think about different ways that you and your company can talk about those um, pieces of subject matter um, that haven't been talked about before and try and incorporate that into any pitch that you send to a journalist. So what John's basically saying is, what do you know that no one else knows? Like, what's your key area of expertise that you could that you have locked up in your head that you're like, oh my God, this is what I've been doing forever. It's been making a ton of progress with the company, ton of money, been attracting a ton of shareholders, whatever it may be. What's that thing that you know that no one else knows? Another thing he's really talking about is like, let's say the trend out there is for the last 10 years, everyone says that your net worth is is uh, based upon your net uh, network, right? Your net worth is based upon your network. Who you, it's all about who you know, who you know, who you know. What if you had a concept that kind of flipped that and said, you know what? That's complete BS. There's this other way to really do it. So you take one popular concept that everyone else believes in and you flip it around and you do the exact opposite and say, this is why you need to do this. And you have some proof and some data behind why it works. I mean, if someone said, hey, Leonard, your network is not your net worth, but this is instead, I'd be like, wait, what? And then I'd be clicking on that and I'd be reading that. <laughs> yeah. uh, right? I, I mean, like, everyone's under the belief that it's all about your network, but if it's not about your network, then what, what could it be, right? <laughs> oh, totally. Um, yeah. There are a lot of different stories that I've had. In coming up with Topic ideas for possible articles, that is certainly one of the things that you could and should do is take a look at like conventional wisdom, something that everybody agrees on, and then talk about like the exceptions to that rule. And, and just like you said, get everybody's attention because you're doing that. Like, oh, your, your net worth is not connected. It cannot, not, you know, a result of your, of your, of your net, of your network. I mean, just like, you're right. That is a that's a great way to just stop people in their tracks and go like what what what. So, no, for sure, a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> like like a lot of people are like, oh yeah, teamwork's important. Teamwork's important. Teamwork's important. And like everyone basically kind of knows that teamwork's important. But I mean, how many people actually know how to implement like how teamwork works? I mean, 
<laughs> I mean, not a lot of people actually know how to make this actually work in like real life. They're like, oh yeah, we got ten people together and we're kind of like figuring it out. But there's got to be insights and secrets on how to actually do that. And if you have those insights and secrets, kind of like how Keith Brazi talks about his co-elevation uh, concept, then it's like, oh wow, this kind of makes sense. And then you're like, wow, this is really how it works. And then it becomes newsworthy. But not a lot of people really know how to go out there and find that angle because they're not thinking through exactly how they do what they do. Now, if you take that step back and you think about how you do what you do, then you really have, then you can really be onto something. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that comes, I think you've talked about this a lot, Leonard, like if you spend a certain amount of hours doing something, then you start to actually really become an expert at it, start to become more of a master at it. And that's one of those things that comes after, a long time. You know, you can sort of flip the, 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 the content idea inside out and say, okay, yeah, these are, these are the seven times when teamwork is actually counterproductive. And so that could uh, really pique some people's interest. And it's basically just flipping the switch. And uh, so you'll see that a lot, especially with a lot of these different bigger publications that churn out a lot of contributor content that, you know, generally they're targeting towards entrepreneurs and other business leaders who have some free moments during the middle of the day and want to be able to take a look at some good, brief stories that they can check out and uh, you know, pick up some information and some helpful tips, usually um, during lunch hour or a break during the afternoon or what have you, is when they often yeah. see uh, a lot of page views. And most people out there, they don't really have that much time to actually read and consume this content. It's just within that, like, 15 minutes of free time that they actually are able to pull out the phone, scroll on ink.com and read like one or two articles. So, I, I mean, what you really have, what you really have to do here is figure out like, what's the best way to gain the interest of not just the journalist, but the person who's reading the content too. And what you want the person who's actually reading the content to really think is like, wow, I never thought of that because that's how you really display yourself as a true expert, a true leader, a true influencer, yeah. because if you're going out there and regurgitating the same thing that everyone else is saying, they're like, oh, yeah, I've read this before. Yeah, I saw this. Don't really care. But if you're saying something that um, that's not that common, they're like, wow, never thought about it that way. Who, who's the person who wrote this? Who's the person who's featured in this? Like, should I go look yeah. them up? I need to know more about them, you know? <laughs> Yeah, totally. One of the ways to tap into that that's really effective that some companies do, um, uh, Fiverr is a company that does this pretty well, is they'll actually commission a study or they'll do a phone survey or they'll do something of their giant community of freelancers, right? So they have hundreds of thousands of freelancers, so they'll, so they'll do, you know, not a scientific survey, but sort of an informal survey of all of them. But it will still produce really significant interesting information that they can then pitch to lots of different people. One thing, that, one thing that they'll then do is they'll plan an event around the release of that information, having a panel talking about the issues, let's say it's about uh, homelessness or, or something like that, and, um, or, you know, the, the way it is for freelancers, uh, you know, having a tougher time getting jobs in the future or whatever the case may be, so there'll be a, a study about that. Then they'll have a, a, an event that they do that gets several hundred people there, and they'll They'll try and get, like, a, a local congressman to talk about jobs and stuff like that there. And they'll just wrap it up into a big thing. And uh, they'll release the numbers. They'll talk about the numbers. They'll make sure one of their officials is on the panel. They'll do all sorts of – and they'll make sure the journalists are there to ask some questions. So they get a bunch of coverage for it. 
to try and cover all the bases at once. So that's one thing that some companies do that's worth at least checking out and trying to implement parts of. So Yeah, like usually if an article gets written, it's not really going to come from one source. It's going to come from multiple. So if you can do some of that heavy lifting and find the other sources to really go in on the uh, topic that you're going with, then, I mean, your chances of really getting that coverage, like, increase significantly as well because it's just not you where the writer has to go out there and go okay I found this person now who else am I going to talk to about this yeah. if you're bringing a few other people to the table then it's like oh yay full package <laughs> that's that's a huge thing and you know a lot of a lot of different PR companies and uh, agencies and other companies kind of send you the email that's like hey I want you to I want to put our CEO on your radar they are a good resource to talk about X and yeah, I think that's worth doing. However, um, keep in mind, you got it. Number one, target the right reporter who's actually covering that area a lot. Um, and, and B, make sure that, uh, like you said, it's not just one person. Maybe, maybe delivering a couple people or three people even might, be, might actually get the attention of the journalist a little bit more. Because remember, when you're, when you're coming at a journalist with a story idea or a possible person who could be a good person to interview someday, uh, you're giving them a little bit of work whether that's adding them to the Rolodex or just uh, you know, having the mental wherewithal to actually just like stop and like maybe put a star next to that email and remember it. So I'll, the more you offer, the better is a, is a good philosophy there. Yeah, you want to make it as easy for the person as possible where, I, I mean, of course, they're going to have to like lift a finger, but you don't want them to lift a finger too high where they're like raising their whole hand, <laughs> going out of their chair and like making all these different uh, moves because, I mean, that, that could be a lot of effort. And the more, I mean, they're really at the end of the day, if you're getting covered and from a cold pitch, they're really doing you a favor. So you want to make sure that yeah. you make it as easy for them as possible to really go out there and do something because um, uh, the easier it is for them, the more likely that they're going to come back to you in the future as well. Yeah, for sure. Definitely yeah. agree. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, basically when it comes to uh, pitching yourself, I mean, there's ways to really go out there and make it happen. There, uh, Some people think it's an impossible task, but I mean, I'm pretty sure we shared a lot of shortcuts and tips here. Uh, and John, thank you so much for all your insights and everything. Uh, oh, we're about to, yeah, we're about to hit the end of the show. Uh, John, if people had any questions, they wanted to reach out to you, they wanted to find you online, how would they do that? Uh, best way, well, there's a uh there's my, my tweet, my Twitter account, uh, J Boytnot, J B O I T N O T T. And just remember that, uh, pitching, uh, reporters is a process. It takes, it takes a while. You're not necessarily going to get a response right away. You're going to have to send out a lot of follow-ups, um, and be ready to do that. Um, but also try not to be too naggy, try not to nag too much. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. You can always find me at Mr. Leonard Kim. Thank you so much for tuning in to Grow Your Influence Tree, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. 
We'll see you here next week.